Hey everybody and welcome to CEO Sit-Downs where I, John Cannell, your host, have sit-down conversations with CEOs from all walks and all industries to hear their stories, pick their brains, and learn from their experience. On today's show, I'm happy to welcome Chad Johnson. Chad is the CEO of the Grain Weevil Corporation, a tech startup with a mission to keep farmers out of grain bins by creating a robot to do the heavy lifting. While all companies set out to solve a problem and make a profit, Grain Weevil is particularly interesting as they've set out to do all that and then some. So, without further ado, I invite you to pull up a chair and listen in to my conversation with Chad Johnson. Hello, Chad. Welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Well, thanks for having me on. This is going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And to kick us off here, Chad, why don't you give all the folks who are listening an idea of your background and how you came to Grain Weevil? Sure. So I'm Chad Johnson. I'm the CEO of the Grain Weevil Corporation. Um, We're actually a father-son robot company. So um, a few years ago, um, we were working on a project um, where my son was building a different type of a robot. And uh, one of our local farmer friends saw that robot and said, man, if you can do this, build me one to keep me and my kids out of a grain bin. Um, so that's how this whole process started. It really was a, an opportunity for, for my son to learn some skills um, as he was still in college. Um, and then, man, it just kind of has taken off um, to, the, to the point where we're able to launch a full-blown startup company and I get to build robots all day long with my kid, and then hopefully um, here soon we'll be able to get that robot out to start helping uh, farmer well-being, help them take care of grain bins and stay out of those grain bins. So that's really what our mission is. That is awesome. So really quick question, though, kind of uh, rewinding, if you will. Um, when when you were in college, when you were getting your feet underneath you career-wise, was there any thought in your mind of leading a company, starting a venture like this with your son, or where was your mind at in those early years? Yeah, so I had a background in uh, elementary education with a minor in computer science. So I always knew um, that education was my passion, Uh, but I had that computer science background and started running. um, I wrote software, sold software titles um, as I was teaching and raising the kids. I got to be a stay-at-home dad while my Wife was off working, so that was a, a great opportunity. So I always knew that the entrepreneurship was something I eventually I would get into. Um, by luck, I, I get to do this uh, with my son, um, and my wife actually works full time for us as well. So it is a full family event, uh, which is a really cool opportunity. But the uh, back in the early days, I never never thought it would be in agriculture. Um, technology, robots, those kind of things were, were my passion, but um, didn't know a whole lot about the agriculture industry. Um, so that was kind of a, a unique twist um, to all of this. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of people are, are interested when I tell them I, I'm an elementary school teacher. Um, I, I love giving kids opportunities to learn, and that's really how our software company and our um, robot company started, was opportunities for kids to learn skills just happened to be that one of those kids was mine. That is great. And then I remember reading in your bio on your website, I think it was Chad, that you had some experience with NASA. 
if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and tell the audience about that because I imagine that's a pretty rare thing. So take it away. I was able to join a NASA fellowship program um, for the mission to Mercury. So we, we sent the messenger spacecraft to fly around Mercury for a few years, and then it actually crashed into the planet so we could gather data. Um, so when I was working at the Edgerton Explorer Center in Aurora as the education specialist, uh, I was able to be selected. There are 12 of us across the United States that were selected as top science teachers in the U.S. Uh, we got to go and participate with the engineers and um, were able to actually get into um, the science side of what the project was doing on its mission so that we could build lesson plans around all of that and then take them back out to schools. And our mission was to reach as many teachers as we could so that more and more students can learn those science aspects of the mission to Mercury. So it was a really, really cool project. I um, got to meet a lot of unbelievable teachers, uh, but then also connect directly with the scientists that were doing that work um, on that mission. Have any of those scientists informed your operations at Grain Weave a little? Um, so we haven't reached out directly. We have a couple of the teachers that we've stayed in touch with. Um, we did actually just hear back from a, a gentleman that got his PhD, um, and that project was to build a robot that looks a lot like ours to drive on the moon. Um, so we got to talk to him about all the lessons that they learned about the moon dust and and, and the auger-based robot um, working on the moon. And so, so that was a pretty cool connection to, to kind of to tie that back. So someday when we get ready to get outside of the grain bin, maybe we'll call them up and, and see about taking it out to space. That is super cool. So you, you've mentioned the robot. Now, I want you, as best as you can, give the folks who are listening an idea of what your robot looks like because – I mentioned the fact that I was going to interview a guy from the Grain Weevil Corporation, and he pulls up a picture, this buddy I'm talking to, and he finds this bug called the Grain Weevil. So I know it's not a bug, but go ahead and give the guys and gals who are listening an idea of what your robot looks like, what it does, its function, all of that. Sure. So my son grew up doing competitive robots in middle school and high school, and those robots are small, lightweight um, you know, 18 inches, there, there, there's a size requirement. So that's where his expertise was. So as we started tackling this problem, um, we started building small mobile robots instead of big, powerful machines that could work in the grain bin. And the first three or four that we built didn't work. We had a lot of bad ideas now that we look back on it. Um, took us a while to settle on the auger drive system. Uh, and that was a interesting aspect because it takes so much power to make that work that that power the motors and batteries didn't even exist when we started um, so as that developed we built this robot that would scurry across the surface of the grain and looks just like a bug um, so that's where the name grain weevil came from because you know weevils are little beetles that live in the grain and scurry across the surface and uh, most farmers don't like grain weevils so it's kind of a a play on that whole thing is, you know, this is going to be the one grain weevil that you like. Um, so if you can imagine, it's just a kind of a box with a couple of little small wings um, and two augers. And that, those two augers move the robot and move the grain at the same time. So it allows us to, to use that um, system to actually manipulate the grain, level the grain, break up crusts, all of those things that we want to do inside of the bin. And how big is the robot? Because 
once again, for all the people listening, you should really go to their website. Uh, it's, it's really cool to watch actually scurry around in the grain bin. But how big is that robot? So the robot is uh, 20 inches by 20 inches, roughly. Um, it fits inside of any hatch, doorway. Um, it weighs 40 pounds. So it's a very mobile, portable-sized robot. But it is very, very powerful, which is it's kind of misleading when they tell you it's, you know, the size. But each of the motors, if we run them at full capacity, each motor can give us five horsepower. Um, what we operated at about two, two and a half horsepower each, uh, which is pretty amazing considering they're smaller than the size of a pop can and can give us that much power. So it is a very powerful machine to do the tasks that we want it to do in a nice, convenient, small package. When it comes to the, I, w- I want to rewind real quick and focus on those prototype stages you were talking about. Was that something, were, were, did you have any expectation at that point that it would become a company, that it could be a viable business venture, or was it just an attempt to see if it would work? And another question in tangent with that one, were you just throwing your own money at it? Were you looking for outside capital? What was that like? We started this project completely as a learning experience for my son. Uh, to solve a problem for our family friend. Um, you know, he, that, that farmer challenged us to build them that robot. We didn't, we'd never been inside of a grain bin before we started. Um, knew nothing about it. So we spent about a year. So most of 2019, we were just tinkering around. When Ben would come home from college, we'd go out and shop and kind of mess around. And that's when we had all these bad ideas and, and try to build like a snowmobile type machine. And you know, just the physics were, just terrible. So, so not a good idea. So we, we went down a couple of those paths and then uh, it was March of 2020, we built our first auger based robot that actually moved on the grain. And that was, it was an interesting story because um, right before the robot actually worked, the local corn growers association said, Hey, on Tuesday, we're going to have a showing of the silo film. And the silo film is a full-featured movie about someone dying in a grain bin and the dangers of, of grain bins. Um, it's a very powerful movie. And they asked us to come, and we said, no, nah, you know what? We've never even had a robot work yet, so I don't think it would be a good idea. Just so happened a Saturday morning, we went out, and this version of the robot worked. It drove in the grain. It moved grain. We had this little video clip. Uh, and one of our neighbors in Aurora is a patent lawyer, and he'd been um, serving as a mentor for our robotics program, and we had a really good relationship with him. So we're like about noon on Saturday. We pack everything up from the grain and we call um, Mr. Morris and say, hey, can you meet us at the shop? We need to write our patent right now. Um, and so he came Saturday afternoon. We wrote our provisional patent. He sent it in on Monday morning, Tuesday morning. We get the word that it had been accepted in the, the, so we had our protection, our protection all set up. So we went to the movie and out in the lobby of the movie theater there in Aurora, we set up a whiteboard and sticky notes and this little iPad video of, of the robot working. Um, and we're, we watched the movie, which was extremely powerful. This is why we are building the machine. Then we went outside and everybody that was there started asking questions. And they were filling out sticky notes, writing questions on our whiteboard. And we had hundreds of, of thoughts and questions and you should make it do this. 
but somebody took a video with their phone and it showed our little video clip. They put it on Twitter. We got 80,000 views in about two weeks and a couple of hundred direct messages from farmers saying, we want this thing. That's instantly when we knew, okay, this is going to be a real business. Um, this 3D printed duct tape together, ugly looking machine got that much attention just off a little, you know, little short 15 second video clip. Um, and that was it. That was, that's what got us to, to realize that this is a big need. Um, it catches people's attention and it, the, the work that goes on inside of a grain bin, no one likes. Um, so, so they want this product and they've, we've had hundreds upon hundreds of farmers give us advice and feedback and, and help us fine tune our machines so that we're building something that they will be able to use. Did any one of those farmers look at the machine, look at the robot with its complexity, its automation, and say, no, I don't want that. I'll just keep doing it the way I have been? Oh, sure. We definitely have, you know, those. The concept is the real competition for our machine is a farmer with a shovel. It's quick. It's easy. They've done it their entire lives. And and so that's that's a big aspect of what we have to do is make this robot easy enough to use that it's as easy or easier to use than a shovel, you know, which is kind of a almost impossible task. But as we've developed the robot, we've been able to prove out that we can do a lot more than just level the grain bins or just to break up the crusts and bridges. So provide a lot more return on, on that value for farmers to use it. And we've figured out that it can do things that humans can't. Like it can run while you're filling it up. So we can swim down around there and act as a spreader and actually do a much better job spreading out those fines and, and broken grains, increasing airflow efficiencies and those kind of things. So a lot of, a lot of new developments. But, yeah, there's obviously, um, you know, a group of farmers that just aren't going to be interested. It's going to be a bigger hassle than, than me just getting in there um, willing to take those risks. But what we want to do is, is there's no real tool out there other than a shovel right now. And so this is, hey, this is a replacement. We want you to choose to do this. You have an option to, to do something better than what was there before. Um, and then that market will continue to grow. So the robot itself, say I've climbed to the top of the grain bin. I set it in there. Is it simply a matter of pressing the power button and it does its own thing? Is it something I control from my phone? What is the operational aspect of it? So today, um, it is remotely controlled with a camera system. Very, very soon, it will be um, what we call this the uh, human interface autonomous. So we still need to have some human interaction with it, but then it will run its autonomous practices of certain patterns, certain um, activities to do the task. Uh, very soon after um, that process gets worked out, it will be fully autonomous. Um, we're building a winching system, so the winch will pull it up from the ground, drop it down into the grain bin, and then you use your phone to tell it what task to do. And that piece of it, the full autonomy capability uh, will, will kind of evolve. The, the big aspect of um, the safety side of the robot is that grain bins are dangerous for humans and for machines, um, and they're actually hazardous locations. So the dust explosions, the grain fires. Um, so we have to build a machine that is ultimately safe, 
um, and, and can't cause any additional problems. Um, and the easiest way to do that to start with is to have some human uh, supervision of the autonomous robot. And then once we work out all those kinks, it will evolve kind of like how Tesla, you know, the car can autonomously drive right now, but you're still supposed to be in the front seat holding the steering wheel. Um, and then eventually you'll, you know, there won't even be a driver's seat. So that's kind of the same process that we're going through. I think we'll be a little bit faster than they are. Uh, you know, it's a lot different driving a robot inside of a grain bin than it is a, a full car interacting with other humans. But that's kind of that concept. So right now we're remotely controlling it with a, a joysticks and a camera system. We can run autonomous patterns and we're very, very close to uh, unleashing our, our first version of the autonomous capabilities. Uh, so as that grows, then it becomes less and less human involvement and more and more robot doing it all on its own. That's what my mind immediately went to was Tesla. I'm a big yeah. fan of Teslas. I've test-driven a couple. I don't have one yet, unfortunately. I was amazed when a buddy of mine and I drove one. We used the automatic driving feature, and I couldn't believe it. It was the slickest yeah. experience ever. So kudos to you guys for attempting something similar. I think that's wonderful. Back back to the robot, My one of the questions that was percolating in my mind as I saw it scurrying around and whatnot was, what exactly is the pricing strategy for this? Because we live in a world where everything seems to be on subscription, everything seems to be on a, you know, you, you don't own it, you own the service to use it kind of thing. So what is your thesis behind that? We have gone from one end of that thesis to another. Yes, we are. We're definitely, that's, that's probably one of the hardest aspects of this. Because of the safety certifications and those maintenance requirements, um, there will be a service package. Um, but we're looking right now at a, you purchase the equipment and then you buy into uh, advanced features and the maintenance program as a part of that service package. So it's a hybrid system. And we do that so the smaller farmers, the, the farmers that don't need all of those swarming capabilities, like the ability to put two or three robots in the same grain bin, I don't need that. I shouldn't have to pay for it. So you buy the equipment. Uh, you can use it with its base package. If you want the additional things, you, you buy into the subscription package. That also allows us to, to build the same machine that can function at the farm level or at the co-op level or the, you know, the commercial facilities. So it allows us to kind of have that flexibility. Our big, our big piece is it's very easy to price a robot so that the co-op can buy one or the farmer that has a million bushels of storage can buy two or three robots. It's no big deal. The big challenge is how do we make sure that the small farmer, I only have two grain bins. I, I can't afford to have a full robot. Um, so what happens there is there's a service capability where where, you know, John, you might buy 10 robots and, and go around to 10 small farms and, and help maintain their grain. Um, so that's a, a, an option that's being built in. So our pricing structure is a sales and then an additional service. At the commercial side, they have to be certified every year that they're still safe. They still meet all their safety requirements. So they'll be required to have that service package. Uh, but on the farm, you buy into that service package, then all the maintenance is taken care of, all the upgrades are taken care of. You know, so it's kind of a best of both worlds type of thing. 
So is that subscription, that service aspect, is that something they subscribe to monthly, annually? It'll be an annual um, process. And most of that is, like I said, designed around the, the maintenance side of things. As we develop, we realize that you know, grain bins are no place for humans or machines. So, so there's just a lot of maintenance that needs to take place. You, you expose your batteries to extreme temperatures and, and you make sure that those are evaluated and tested, um, go through a, a full evaluation process so that that battery is deemed safe again to use the next year. So, so that's kind of that, that process. It's much more complicated than it seems. Um, the, all of the functional safety aspects that, that go into it. So the machine can operate when I'm carrying it and all of those aspects of things uh, make it. So we want to ensure that that, that continues to be safe year after year, no matter if you've dropped it or if you've, uh, you know, you left it in the grain bin and it froze, it could still operate. You know, those are the pieces that need to be built into it so that it's, that it'll last long enough that you, know, you can get your value out of it. One thing this is a personal question more than a business question, but do you guys ever get a little defeated when you think about all these different things you have to consider? Because I imagine at some point it seems like they never end to consider the battery, to consider that it doesn't operate while you're holding it. Is there any aspect of that? The time aspect of it, is, it's, it's tough because when, when someone dies in the United States every two weeks in a grain bin accident, uh, that's two weeks that I should have been done. I should have had my robot finished. It's, it's, that's the tough side of things. We have a machine that can function right now, but we haven't met all those safety requirements to be able to start selling it yet. And so how that process goes um, is the, it's not technically, there's some technical challenge. There's no doubt. It's we we're solving a lot of technical problems, but it's that, ensuring that it's safe for our farmers to operate. We don't want to get one out there that's more dangerous to use than getting in the grain bin. So we have to go through that. And it's a very rigorous process. So I think it's just really about the, how much time it takes to navigate all that is the frustrating part, especially, you know, this year seems to have been a, a very high volume of accidents. And, and so it's tough when, when that's the mission that we're working on, that, that we, we can't move faster. We just have to make sure our machine is ready to help before we take it out and, and get it out into the public. I remember as a kid being raised in rural America, you know, I was always hearing stories of guys who were in grain bins and they were saved and some who weren't and things like that. I mean, it's a serious issue. You're aware of it. I'm aware of it. But I have an idea that many folks who are listening might not be. So if you wouldn't mind, go into greater detail about all the dangers that come with being in a grain bin and what's entailed there. The, the grain bin safety aspect was why we started this. Um, our ultimate goal was we realized um, that our family friend didn't want his, his kids to go in. Um, and so we started exploring why. And comes down to most of the accidents take place when there's a problem with the grain. It's crusted, it's clumped, it won't flow. Um, and so, fine, you go in there with a shovel, with a pole, with a rake, and you start to try to break that stuff up. You get caught in the auger, an avalanche takes place. Um, so, so really, 
We call those anomaly situations. You're going in to take care of something that's wrong. And that was our actual initial goal. So we built the robot so that it can chew through clumped grain, bridges, crusts. It doesn't even know those things are there. It helps with the flow of grain, um, all of those things. So as we step through all those tasks, the reasons people go in, uh, when you pull the grain out, it forms an inverted cone. And that cone then um, has sidewalls that get maybe 12, 15 feet tall um, that don't come out. And so people will get in there, they start their sweep augers, they're trying to pull down that grain so it pulls down in and, and that avalanche comes up, or they again get stuck in the auger. So it's that entrapment um, through like a collapse or an avalanche. Um, or actually another big issue is that someone's in there working and another human doesn't realize that they're in there and they turn on that auger system. And as a, as a human, um, you'll be completely buried in three to four seconds. Um, and you cannot get out because the more you fight, it's just like quicksand. If there's grain flowing, a human can't outrun that flow. Uh, our robot, on the other hand, is designed for that. So even if you turn on the device and it starts to, you know, you're extracting grain, our robot can outrun that flow. Um, and so, so those are those things when we say that a robot can do things that humans can't. Um, so, so yeah, that safety situation, I think those are all of the like emergency anomaly situations. But one of the, the things that we've learned, uh, long-term health, it's, it's one of those things that you just can't, pinpoint but farmers lung those all of those farmers that have lung disease and and it comes from inhaling a lot of that dust which it's not just while they're in the grain bin but that's the most concentrated time um, so it's a very dangerous to breathe in dust and mold and all of those things and so we can put that robot in there instead of the human we eliminate all of those risks so we've built our whole company around the mission of no boots in the grain so we right now we can't sweep the bottom yet, um, but we can get everything else taken care of so that it, you can have boots on the, the metal floor, but you never have to get your boots in the grain. Soon, someday, we'll actually take care of the broom problem too. So that, that's phase two. I applaud you guys for what you're doing. I think that's absolutely fantastic. So thank you. Now more on the technical side of things here, Chad. A number of people out there, I'm sure, have an idea, and they're considering starting a company with that idea. With a startup company like yours, give the folks listening an idea of what do the finances look like for a company that's just getting its boots off the ground? What is it? Is it more of a balance sheet thing? Is it an income statement thing? Or do you not even consider that and just dump it all into research and development? Tell us more. So when we're starting, obviously, there, there's, there's phases of your innovation, right? You have your idea. Um, you start testing your ideas. And then as you start building your prototypes, um, that's very, very, very early in the business process. And it's very hard to get any outside money for that. So for us, we went through seven versions of our robot bootstrapped where we paid for everything. I bought all the parts. Ben and I built all the robots. We did everything all of on our own. Um, then luckily we were able to roll into 
Um, our first investment was two safe agreements through an incubator program. So as we went through that, an incubator is a, a startup school, I guess is an easy way to say it, where you go and they help you learn about running your business. They help you find customers. They help you develop on that business side and give you opportunities to develop on your technical side. Um, so we were able to to land two safe agreements, which are basically loans saying, here's $75,000. When you do your first funding round, I get credit for that $75,000 to buy shares. Um, so we don't have to sell shares and all of that to start with. It's just kind of a an agreement. Um, like it, it's named safe because it's the easiest way to, to take on investors. Um, so as we went through this whole process, we went um, most of the full, all of the idea stage, and most of the prototyping stage bootstrapped, um, which, uh, you know, is really hard to do, uh, especially, you know, you look at our robot, we're able to source some inexpensive parts, knowing that they weren't going to be the finalized parts, but they were able to test and those kind of things. That, that was actually, that's one of the hardest aspects of this development. But that's also where, like the state of Nebraska has the, the Nebraska Innovation Act, and, and they have prototyping funds. So, so they actually are able to help fund some of that early stage so that, that you can get your working prototypes so that you can get further along in that business to where you can decide, okay, am I a, a small business? Which in the small business model, you build a robot, sell a robot. Then I can build two robots and sell two robots. And then I can build three. And you build up your small business by um, building up sales and, and all of that. Um, as a startup business, it, it's completely wild. It's, a, it's this crazy concept of I get money to run my business by convincing you that someday you're going to make 10 times as much money as you invest or a hundred times more than you invest. So, so it's a very risky proposition, but the reward is extremely high at the end. You know, you, you think of the famous startups and, you know, Amazon and, and Facebook and, you know, build it in a college dorm and now it's worth billions. Um, so that's the, the idea behind this high tech startup world is to, to get, investors that want to put money into your company, you have to be able to show a very high rate of return. Um, and luckily for us, the ag industry, it's a massive industry. So, so there's a lot of customers. There's a lot of places that need um, these types of machines. And, and so we were able to show that we have this potential. If we can solve all these problems, there's a, there's a, a big opportunity for a, a very, um, high profit business. Uh, so, so we're able to build that into our business plan that then allows us to go through this process of um, raising money. Uh, you can't, uh, you, if you have a lot of money, you can bootstrap all the way through this process, but, but it's extremely expensive. You got to hire engineers and all these experts to solve these problems and pass all those regulations. The regulations alone are probably going to cost us $200,000 to, to get past. Um, so it, it's, it's a wild thing and you need help doing that. So there's 
all kinds of things like the Business Innovation Act and like Invest Nebraska. Um, these are all things that are built in Nebraska to help reduce some of those barriers so we can be successful. So is it safe to say that you have found uh, starting a startup in Nebraska to be a very smooth process? I wouldn't say that there aren't very many barriers. Um, when when you think of a one out of every 10 startups fail. And, and so our goal in Nebraska is to build a culture in which, you know, we're, we're the ones and the other nines are somewhere else, right? So, so we want to be in Nebraska, eight out of 10 startups are successful. Or, so that's what the process is, is how can we most reduce those barriers here so that more and more and more of us can be successful? Um, I think what I could say is we've met those barriers, but we've always had someone or some organization right there to help us navigate that barrier. And it's not that the barriers have disappeared. It's that we've just had the right people and the right help and the right timing that, that they've helped us pass those barriers each time that it comes up. So, so that's the big, the big thing is, is the easier you can make it, um, the more likely it is that you're going to be successful. And we're by no means to that successful line yet. We, we still got a lot of, lot of those hurdles to, to overcome. Uh, but we like where we're at. We like the help that we have. We like uh, the, the surroundings that are building in Nebraska that help startups like ours are amazing. And I think that's the important aspect of all of this. Have a couple of companies that, that are further along in the process that encourages more younger companies to come in. And, and there's, there's folks here that have been successful and exited out of their ag tech that are giving back to us. And they talk to us and they say, Hey, I had this problem or I tried this and it was really successful. That's the culture that we're trying to build here so that not necessarily get rid of those barriers, but, Helping you jump over those barriers when it's there, you got that hand up. It makes it a lot easier. I was actually going to ask about that because, you know, having the elementary education background that you do, were you ever intimidated by all these financial models and projections and all these various things that one has to juggle, like the regulations? A little bit. Um, I have really spent like the last five or six years of my professional career, um, building a program to teach kids workforce skills through innovation, which the idea was that we want these kids to have opportunities to build startups. So I had started, you know, building that education program um, through that, starting to gain the knowledge of how all of this stuff works, uh, which then laid that foundation. And then I started, when we started the startup, I knew nothing. I'm like, wow, this is completely mind blowing. Uh, so, but that's, it's not rocket science. It's just so much. And luckily for me, I don't have to know every legal aspect of an employee stock option plan because I, I have a board member and a, a lawyer that know those things. And all I have to know is the right questions to ask to get the right help. And I think that's the kind of the some of the mindset of, you know, folks sometimes that are inventors and innovators, I got to do everything on my own. Um, and we've learned here really fast that we're not the smartest kid in the room. 
so we need to find people that are smarter than us. You know, we're really good at solving problems. We're, we're really good at taking something very complex and making it very simple. That's our expertise. So I don't know anything about the fluid dynamics of grain. No clue. I got to find people. I have no idea, you know, so we have all these farmers, we have all these experts, we have all the, the lawyers and the, the patent attorney. You have to bring all those people around you. There's no way I can know all of that. And as, as soon as I realized that I didn't need to know all of that, then it made it a lot easier. I got to understand all of it, but I don't have to be an expert in any of it. For sure. One thing I also want to ask you, Chad, being a family operation with your son and all, do you ever find that you guys butt heads? Is there, you know, disputes over division of labor? What's that relationship like? Yeah, actually, one of the very first um, pitches we did, we, we were in part of this incubator, and we do a pitch, and then you get feedback, and, you know, we're leaning on the father-son thing. It's something we're very proud of. And one of the advisors says, drop a father-son bit. And we're like, why? Name one successful father-son startup. And my response was, we're going to keep the father-son thing because I'm not sure you could name one successful farm that's not father-son family-related farm. And he's like, okay, but, you know, tech startups are different. And, and so we just, all right, I, I get that. So we started doing some research um, and, and there's certain reasons why father-son startups fail. And lucky for us, um, the main reason father-son startups fail is the, the father who thinks that he's in control isn't innovative enough to keep pace. Well, in our relationships, it's kind of funny because I'm the I'm like the vision guy, the dreamer guy, the the innovation guy, and Ben's the the practical, make it work, you know, solve this problem so it's simple enough that it can actually function. Um, so it's a really good dynamic where where I kind of have that um, that innovation side of things, but he has that I can solve this problem. Um, so no matter what I dream up. He's able to very quickly tell me it's either not a good idea or we can solve that problem. But as we've developed this, it has been very intentional. Um, how we we divide things. Um, so we have the office. I'm here at our office in Omaha. When he graduated from school, we're like, it's hard enough to start a startup as your first job out of college. Um, what we're doing is, you know, never been done before. It's very difficult. Now you throw in the, the dynamics of a father-son thing, you know, can't expect him to move home, right? We don't want the kid to move out of Omaha, move back in with his parents to run the startup. It, it, that's not important. Um, so we, we, I stayed in Aurora, so I'm here quite a bit, but we have some of that separation built in intentionally. Um, we try to make sure that um, our process is, we know what each other's good at, um, and and we're intentional about making sure. Now that doesn't say that there's never any any challenges. I'm a I'm an old dude, so I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and can't go back to sleep. So I get up and start working. He's not, uh, you know. So so there's some of that. I've got to be aware. I can't expect him to have my same hours. And then he says, "Well, 
I don't need to spend eight hours solving a problem like you do. I can solve the problem in one hour. So, you know, so as long as we're aware of it, I mean, there's, there's obviously, you know, there's times where I'm like, you know, we we need to work more. And then there's times where it's like, man, I can't believe you solved that problem that fast. Right. So, so as long as we're aware of it, we communicate very well. Um, I say my piece, we move on. Um, He, you know, it's very, very intentional. And I think, as, as people, other people have asked me about working as a, a father-son startup, I have to be prepared to walk away at any moment. If, if Ben says this isn't working, my father-son relationship is more important than my grain weevil CEO position. And we knew that going in. Um, and as long as that's all on the table, I, I think it's all good. And we love it. We, I love the opportunities. We try to do fun things like we're traveling. We try to go to a Every town we go to, we find a minor league baseball team or, you know, something like that. And just kind of do some of that to make sure it's not just always work. That's wonderful. And once again, I applaud you. I think that's that's great. Uh, but one thing you said in there, Chad, uh, caught my attention. You mentioned the dichotomy between the startup community and the traditional American farmer community. Do you ever find yourself in a place where there's a rock and a hard place and you're in between is is that a fine line to balance yeah i think there's a the idea when you hear startup right it's san francisco it's boston it's these real big robot companies coming in and telling the farmer what to do Um, i built this machine that you're gonna love Um, and we are we know nothing and we know we know nothing, so we can't make any assumptions. And I think from the very beginning, we've built our company on having farmers, having ag industry experts take ownership in what we're doing. They, they, um, a lot of our initial investors were farmers. Um, we're, we're really focused on the idea of we're building something for them because of them not we're trying to find a place to fit our technology into the way they work. Um, I think that's that's very important for us to be from this area. Um, it's very important for us to to have personal relationships with the, the, the potential customers. And that's been a big aspect of our development. Now, with that said, we made some, uh, you know, we talked to 100 farmers and they're all like, yeah, just do the subscription model because I don't want to have to worry about replacing robots and all. And, and then we talked to some farmers from the south um, and, and a whole group of Tennessee farmers. And it's a, no, it's a non-start. We won't even talk to you if you want us to do a subscription. We're buying that robot or we're not even using it. It's a whole different mindset. And so I think it's been navigating the differences. Uh, in practices, you know, they, they, you know, they're different grains, they're different models, there's different time frames. It's, it's amazing how different corn farming is in Tennessee than it is in Nebraska, which you would never think that's different. Uh, but then you go like, oh, I'm at this farm, I'm going to go to the next farm, and, and the practices are going to be the same. And it's not even the same necessarily farm to farm, you know. I, I farm this way, my neighbor farms this way, 
you know, I never do more than eight loads a day because of this reason. Oh, I do 14 loads a day. It, it's so variable all over the place um, that I think that's been the challenge is for us to, to figure out how to build a device that's flexible enough that it can meet, you know, the bigger corporate farms and the smaller. I have two 20 foot grain bins. That's been the rock and the hard place, I think, has been more of the how do we how do we build something that's useful for everybody without getting like scope creep so big that, that we have to build this unbuildable unicorn, right? So what has your process been thus far in selling the robot? Because you mentioned, you know, going from farm to farm. Are you and your son just going around trying to sell farmers on this? Do you go to trade shows? What is the what is the strategy there? So we are we are in that pre-sales phase and we're doing farm trials and we're getting set up to do some commercial facility trials uh, to work out all the kinks. Um, all of our attention, all of uh, all of our publicity has been all organic. Um, so like TikTok uh, for some odd reason, we go viral on TikTok uh, once every couple of months. Like we're over 60 million views on social media so far this year. Um, and not a single one of it's ours. It's all some, like a farmer filmed it at a trade show and put it on his TikTok and it went viral. Uh, we do have a super fan page, the, the teenage boy at the farm that we do most of our testing here in Nebraska. He wanted to do a TikTok um, and so we're like, as long as it's a fan page and you're not trying to be us, do it. He posted something, um, ended up with like 90,000 followers and 22 million views. And, uh, you know, it's just this amazing organic, uh, like you, you had mentioned before that um, uh, so many people have seen it and, and have heard of it and are excited to get to that point where we can say, Here's a button on our website and buy it. It'll be at your farm soon. Um, it's those safety aspects that the certification process, the product safety is what's holding us time-wise um, from that. Uh, so we're, we're hopeful that we're going to be able to meet those guidelines early next year, mid next year, so that, you know, this time a year from now, we'll be able to start at least some early sales, you know, we, we don't want to sell a hundred thousand of these things, then not have it work. Right. It's a, it's a big difference between having 10 or 20 or a hundred robots when you actually start getting them out there. So we got to make sure we're doing it right. Um, So, but yeah, it's all been organic. It's been farmers talking to farmers, people seeing it on TikTok, or we've been on RFD TV a couple of times and it's just, uh, it's fun. It's exciting. And, and we try to use that to learn how to make our product more useful. And, and it's been it's been humbling and it's amazing some of the exciting things that we've been able to to accomplish so far. I will say being from rural America, RFD TV is a cherished channel in my home. I want you to know that, Chad. But I, I will say, that's, that's how I learned about you guys. I think someone on LinkedIn had just shared this video of your robot just scurrying around everywhere. And I thought, dang, that's cool. And it led to an email, and here we are. This year, we're over 60 million views across TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Uh, it's, and that doesn't, count, that doesn't count the 
you know, how many people watched the, the, the next farm TV show that we were on, on RFD TV. We don't, we don't know those numbers, you know, it's a big following they have. So I'm sure we got a lot of eyeballs. Um, So it's, it's, it's a, it's been amazing ride for us. It's been so exciting. So many people have helped us along the way that we, we can take credit for it because our names are, you know, Ben and Chad Johnson, CEO and CIO and, but we can't take credit for it. It's somebody else's idea. We were just able to capitalize on solving that problem for them. It's other people are seeing it and getting excited about it and sharing our story. And it just, it's just been this amazing uh, opportunity for us to, to be a part of it. Um, you know, we're, we're doing our part of it, taking advantage of our opportunities. Um, but it's been all of these people that have come along beside us to help us and to help propel us to where we are. That's been super fun uh, part of all of this. And I think there's probably only more fun to come down the road. But back to your robot, Chad. One thing I was uh, wanting to know, when you guys get it perfected, if you will, do you have plans to produce it here in the U.S.? Is it going to be produced internationally? What is the thought there? Our ultimate goal with the production process, to start with, um, we were getting what we call sub-assemblies. So the bodies are being molded. Um, we're buying the components, and then we're assembling those. And we can do, in our process there, we can do maybe 4,000 robots in a year through that process. That gives us a year or two to, to figure out if, if we're going to go full-blown manufacturing. Uh, our intention is all of that will take place here. You don't gain anything by taking it out of the country other than reduction in cost and reduction in quality. So, and for our robot, that reduction in quality is more expensive in the long run. Um, So doing it here so that we can do it right is extremely important to us. Um, And that's, we're working through this part of, we just landed the big Heartland Robotics cluster grant um, here in the state of Nebraska, the the state of Nebraska did. Um, And we've been a part of that. And their whole goal is to to use those Department of Economic Development funds to create a hub, a place where robots and companies are being built here. And being a part of that is really going to help us um, because that's that's the whole intention to engage the manufacturing process with, you know, ag tech startups and ag robotics and all of those aspects of building a a massive robotics hub in Nebraska is happening right at the right time for us to take advantage of that. So it it is our intention to take advantage of that as we start to build out our company to manufacture those robots here. That's wonderful. I wasn't aware of all those different things, those trends, if you will, but that is very exciting. And this, this may be a premature question, Chad. Is there any idea, any thought put into international sales? Will I mean, I don't know. Are grain bins something that other countries use? Yes. Um, as a matter of fact, we get as many um, phone calls from international countries as we do from the U.S. Uh, daily, uh, you know, three or four emails a day from, from all over the world. Um, when are we going to be able to get your robot here? 
you know, I want to be a dealer when you come to, to, to Columbia, you know, those kind of things. Um, it is an international problem. Uh, not all of them store, you know, our, our grain bin, the, the metal round um, bins that are very common here, aren't necessarily the, the same ways they store everywhere. But the, the idea is the management of grain, no matter how you're storing it, any kind of bulk storage pile, um, we, can, we can have an impact on. And so we, we've heard from barge companies who want to f- figure out how we can use our robot to help extract the, the grain out of the barge. Because now uh, this, some of the wildest stories about they've got this mini size uh, skid steer that they actually crane into a barge and drop it down in and some dude's driving it inside of this. I mean, it's, there's, there's these wild um, things that are going on here and across the world that, that they see our robot and they say, ah, this could solve a problem for us. Um, so it is definitely much larger than just, you know, here in the Midwest, it's much larger than just corn and soybeans and, and wheat and Milo. Um, we're talking about pistachios and different kinds of nuts and, alfalfa pellets and all of these other things could use a machine like this. So we're very excited about that market after the grain, uh, but we're really focused on getting the the, the grain market taken care of before we worry about that too much. Amazing. I cannot express how hard I am rooting for all of you. I think this (laughs) is just fantastic. And we could probably talk for a lot longer, Chad, but with our remaining time here, why don't you give all the folks listening an idea of uh, where you can be reached, your website, contact, anything you want to offer. We uh, do a lot of our communications on Twitter. So it's uh, grain underscore weevil. If you don't do the underscore, you're going to get the entomologist that's talking about grain weevils. So they're a good follow as well. But if you want the robot stuff, you do the underscore there. Our website is is grainweevil.com. And you can see if you go there, there's all kinds of really cool videos that, that show us working leveling bins and breaking up crusts and bridges and all of those things that are, are happening um, with our robot and all of our testing. We try to share all that so that you can see what's going on there. I would just encourage everyone listening to go follow Chad and Grain Weevil on all their different social media there. And Chad, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. You bet. Take care. Whether you allowed us to keep you company on your ride home from the office, during your workout, or as you were getting ready for the day, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this conversation. Be sure to subscribe and follow CEO Sitdowns on whatever podcast platform you use, and I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review, as it helps others find the podcast in the future. And if today's episode called to mind a friend or family member who you think would enjoy today's conversation, go ahead and share this episode with them. I would certainly appreciate it, and hopefully they will too. Thanks again for listening, and may you have a pleasant day wherever you may be.